Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 13th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we'll tell you... How a passion for Polish food has turned into a successful business for a Polish-American couple. How an immigrant from Poland built a cosmetics empire in the United States. How a 92-year-old, young at heart, Polish-American traveled the world and created an amazing art oasis in Montana. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. Cześć, nazywam się Ellie McCarthy Wisniewski, recently married last November um, into a Polish family. Um, my first experience with Polish was actually um, the Polish Pavilion at Karabram, which is one of two cultural festivals in Peel, the other one being um, Karasaga. And so my first experience was not just as an audience member, I was pulled up onto this stage to dance. So I just thought, oh, this is fun. <laughs> so, and every year after that, my family always made the Polish pavilion a priority, and they were so disappointed when the funding yeah, went away. Mm -hmm. And so, but um, yeah, and then my next uh, experience with Polish was actually in university. Um, I met a girl from Poland who took one ESL course and jumped into an economics class at UTM. We had an assignment together and then just became really, really close friends. She asked me to be the godmother to her daughter, and they're like family to me. Um, I met my husband on a blind date, and six years ago, that's when I decided I wanted to learn the language. So I began studying in 2014. And, um, and now, bit of news, we're also expecting our first child. So, so Roman and I are really excited. Roman's first language, by the way, was Polish. Um, he's, he was born in Canada. For the first five years, it was Polish, um, and and he really enjoys learning the grammar that I'm trying to teach him <laughs> when I get home. Um, but we're really excited about having our child immersed in as much of the Polish culture as possible, and his family's really excited to be that involved in that way. Many 92-year-olds do you know who are on Facebook, plan years ahead, are active professionally and enjoy life to the fullest. Alicia Edwards lives in Eureka, Montana. She owns an antique shop. She paints, makes postcards, calendars, bookmarks with her own art, plays the piano, speaks a number of languages, and is the author of two books in which she talks about her past. From Poland through Kazakhstan and Iran, through many other countries to the United States. Alicia, you were born in Poland, and what happened then? 
the war began. Germany moved away from uh, eastern Poland, where I lived, and Soviet Russia occupied Poland. My father was arrested. We were arrested and, and deported to Kazakhstan. How long and did you stay there? Two and a half years. It was sweet 16. We survived. We were survivors by the mercy of God, with faith and hope. When war broke out between Germany and Soviet Russia, my father came back. He was not executed. My father was in Shvedrovovsk in Ural Mountains. He worked in a coal mine. We hardly recognized him when he came, but life came back. The hope came back. Army, Polish army was formed. A father didn't stay long with us. He says, I'm going. I have to fight. We have to pave the road to Poland. After he left, mother gathered all our possessions and a sack of white flour, which was our ticket all the way through a half of southern Russia. We made it to Tashkent. And on the desert there, we were waiting for our chance to go to walk to ships. We walked through the Karakol Desert. 132 degrees, people dying like flies. But we made it. We crossed bridge from Soviet Russia. We were free. It's all in my books. You wrote two books about this experience, right? When did you write them? You wrote them when you were already in the States, right? Oh, yes, that was in 2002. Actually, I was sitting by my husband. He was dying. The visions of what happened came, just came like movies, and I described it. Um, you started your life in Poland, and now you are in Montana. How did this happen? I was military wife. I met my husband in Iran, and I was working with my mother uh, for American uh, Army. We were in uh, waitresses in Mass Hall, and at that time we left already Tehran and were in Koromshar, which was on the very south of uh, Iran. It's where my mother was killed through an accident. From then, it was traveling continuously through many countries. It was the United States, Japan, France, Germany, what his work called for. It was a great experience. Uh, <laughs> I learned some Japanese. The culture, the tradition, you learn to live with people of different race. And you learned a lot from them. I admired their arts. I had the maid. <laughs> When, I, when she came to be interviewed, she came and bowed and say, Ohio. I didn't know what to say, say Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so what did like, Ohio mean, Alicia? Hello, good morning. We had to learn Japanese. They said you have to communicate with people. And you're an artist yourself, right? You're a painter. Yes. When did you start uh, painting? When I was five years old and I... Oh. I painted portrait of Piłsudski, my hero. And I know you paint Poland. You Polish. You paint Polish landscapes. Do you, would you search for that in your memory? Yes, uh, I. I have a photographic memory. Play the piano. You, you uh, have an antique store. I don't know. Like, yes. what else do you do? <laughs> oh, piano was my life in Poland. This is one thing I forgot. Every year I went to conservatory in Lviv. Uh, Soviet Russia stopped me from that. 
but I met a pianist in Soviet Russia, and he encouraged me. He was German-born and said there's a piano in library. It came back. Do you play now? <laughs> I, I play in church. <laughs> My fingers are very arthritic. When I get by the piano, I say, excuse me, Chopin, have you been back to Poland since the war, since before the war? And my place is gone. It was given to Stalin. This is when my anger arrives. And we were in Tehran at the time when the three had the meetings. Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin. They gave it to him. But Poland but, has a special place in your heart still. Of course. I was educated there. My father was a young fighter with Piłsudski. He fought Bolsheviks. He sang to us when we were going to sleep, Legioneto, Żołnierz, Kabuta. That was his lullaby. Do you think in Polish or in English? Do you know many times I do have recollection of Polish words now, but it's, it just comes back because I completely forgot my Polish. What I remember a lot in Polish is poetry. Who are you? Are you American? I am American. Yes, I'm very proud to be American. Did you ever share stories other than the books, of course, but the, your, your feelings about Poland, not just those horrible things that happened, but you know how you feel about the country and your memories. Do you, did you share it with your children? When my daughter edited my first book, she cried on every page, and my son is a Vietnam veteran, and we used to share the danger and the pain. Now, your life now is peaceful, and um, you have lots of people around you, a beautiful place where you live. Are you at peace with yourself? Uh, when I came, my son brought me here. He knew what was happening, and he said, Mom, time to go. Uh, when I came here, uh, I felt peace. I felt like it's the haven, my last place. And I felt also then that my life begins again. If you were to give people a few tips based on your experience on, of so many years of your life and so many places you've been to, people you've met, what would those things be? Learn about yourself first who you are, learn the right way, have a religion, have somebody behind you that could help you. You're not alone. And follow the right way. Look straight, but look to the side and look behind you. And behind you is what's teaching you what wrong you did, what wrong people do. And follow the straight line because inside each human when it's born, it's very innocent. Born Haya Rubinstein, Helena Rubinstein was an uneducated daughter of a Jewish kerosene dealer in Krakow, who began by whipping her own face creams and ended up running one of the largest private companies in the United States. Her Orthodox Jewish father made her leave home after she rejected an arranged marriage at age 16. 
She emigrated to Melbourne, Australia in 1896, where she lived with an aunt and founded her first salon in 1903. Then there were all kinds of successes. She conquered Europe and New York, where she founded her first American salon in 1915. Makeup had previously been relegated to prostitutes and actresses, but women began wearing lipstick as a symbol of empowerment at the dawn of feminism. Her Jewishness was a problem wherever she went. When she wanted to buy an apartment in building on Park Avenue in 1941, but Jews were not allowed there, she purchased the whole building. She was not only successful as a businesswoman in the times when women were mostly stay-at-home housewives, but she was innovative in other professional ways. She was one of the first cosmeticians to warn against the danger of sun overexposure and developed a sun-protecting tanning lotion as early as the 1940s. In 1939, she created waterproof mascara, and in 1958, the first modern pre-moistened mascara tube with a wand inside. Helena Rubinstein, a tiny woman of 147 centimeters, which is about 4 feet 10, called Madame by her employees, was a marketing genius and had incredible intuition in business, which made her one of the world's richest women. Peter and Laura Żeranski, a Polish-American couple who live in Virginia, have devoted their life to Polish cuisine. They're real culinary artists who have decided that the traditional recipes passed on by the previous generations need to be recorded and spread around the world. Hence, their two cookbooks, Polish Classic Cooking and Polish Classic Desserts, the 2013 Best Eastern European Cookbook in the United States. Well, Laura and Peter, you are an American-Polish couple with um, great passion for Polish food. Where did it come from for both of you? Well, I think for me, it came from having grown up in a Polish home. I was actually born in Europe, and I, and I was raised in a, you know, in a Polish-American environment. Well, first Polish-Canadian, and then Polish-American environment, but we spoke Polish at home, you know, all the time. And then when Laura, you know, married into the family. I started cooking with my mother-in-law and creating some of the dishes that we would have for holidays, and that kind of got into, um, you know, my passion or, or my uh, ability to cook the food. Right, because Peter's mother, in fact, authored a cookbook, right? She, yes, did. she did. In, in 1968, she wrote The Art of Polish Cooking, which actually still sells a few copies, you know, around the world. And at age 18, I actually edited that book from cover to cover. Now, Laura, when you, when you came into the family in 1973, as I, as I read, yeah. um, how did you feel about Polish cooking? I didn't know a whole lot. My grandmother, great-grandmother, actually had a little Polish blood, and there are actually a couple of her recipes in um, our cookbook. But um, I hadn't really experienced it. I'd cooked a lot, but not Polish. And I got started cooking right away with the first Christmas holiday that we had. I got assigned to make the honey cake. 
which was kind of a disaster at first because I didn't have the right equipment at our house. We were newlyweds. I made the batter at home, took it to my mom's and baked it. And of course the baking powder and baking soda in the recipe died and it came out turning out like a brick. Or a hockey puck, which Canadians can identify with. And then I remade it and it was perfectly fine and I've been making it ever since. Your love and passion for Polish cooking resulted in two extremely popular cookbooks. Both have the word classic in them. Why do you emphasize the word classic? Well, because all the recipes in, in both our books, you know, go back several generations. We kept them as they were passed down to us by my grandmother and other grandmothers. It was important to uh, keep them in their original form and only update them for modern kitchens. So we got rid of the pinch of this and pinch of that, and and we now take you know make make use of modern equipment like immersion blenders and and freestanding mixers. But these recipes are the ones that need to be passed on to the younger generations who don't have their own babchas recipes anymore. If you were to invite someone from another culture, say a Filipino or a Japanese friend, um, to your home and serve the most classic Polish dinner that should make that person who is totally, you know, doesn't know anything about Polish cooking, that would make that person fall in love with Polish cooking, Polish cuisine. What would that be? For me, that would be the Bigos or the Hunter's Stew. Um, it's got all of the kind of traditional flavors that you experience in Polish food, the all meld together to make a, a lovely flavor. And I've made this dish for um, several church events where people had never experienced Polish food and there was never a piece of it left at all in the pot. I, I think some people think that sauerkraut is just sour and, and not very tasty, but this dish makes it a whole new experience for people. Of course, we know that Bigos is the you know king of Polish comfort food, uh, but I think it's important to note that there are really two categories of Polish cuisine. The comfort food, which tends to be a little bit more popular, like Bigos and pierogi and, and cabbage roll, stuffed cabbage rolls, but there is also a, a more sophisticated side to Polish cuisine. Let's talk about your books. Both of the books, one, one book is more general, one concentrates on desserts. Uh, why desserts? Um, I love sweets. Peter loves sweets. Oh yeah. And <laughs> we had we had um, quite a few recipes collected from family members that we could make into a book. Desserts seem to resonate with people. Polish desserts are a little less sweet than uh, American or Canadian desserts. There's less sugar in them. Uh, there are several desserts that are totally you know without flour that are gluten free. The tall torts are absolutely comparable to the most sophisticated French torts. Now, in the other book, what do we find? A little bit of everything. You'll you'll have some appetizers in there. You'll have several soups, um, salads, and there are many healthy salads in there, by the way. Um, there are main entrees, uh, side dishes, and a little bit, you know, a couple of desserts. We had last night for dinner a marinated beet salad, which is... Uh, we roasted the beets and, and put some currants in there and and some vinaigrette. That recipe was actually featured in Healthy Aging magazine um, as proof positive that you know beets are a wonder food and a very important staple in Polish food. How have your books been uh, received? Um, they're not only read by Poles, obviously, because they're in English. The first book has uh, over 50 positive reviews on Amazon. Uh, it's sold all over the world. Uh, the people love our books, both of them, because 
it reminds them of the food that they grew up with and they don't always have, have the recipes. One lady made the, um, the Christmas poppy seed roll and when she saw the photography, she actually shed a few tears because it reminded her of her grandmother. I think in the in the recipe book, the the pictures, the stories that are told about Peter growing up and how the food was shared during holidays, um, I think resonates really well with people. And we had one gentleman who had seven or eight daughters, and he was concerned that they were not going to be ha be having recipes from his mother or the family. So he bought a copy of our book for each one of his daughters as a Christmas present. We're hoping that from time to time you will be part of our podcast and you'll talk about interesting aspects of Polish cooking. Absolutely. And, and I think what we're going to do is you know pick a specific topic every time that you know we come on the air in, in the program. Um, uh, we're, we're right now we're thinking about doing blueberry soup. It's blueberry season here, and um, I'm actually going to put up a recipe in the next day or two on our on our website www.polishclassiccooking.com, and uh, it's going to be about blueberry soup. So we'll do things that that are very interesting over the coming weeks. Okay, we're looking forward to more. Everybody loves Polish cooking. Smacznego. To learn more about Peter and Laura, some of their favorite recipes, including what they consider the best Polish desserts, and their cookbooks, visit our website at www.mypolcast.com. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. A city in southern Poland on the Odra River is recognized as the capital of Polish song. For over 50 years now, it has been the site of the annual National Polish Song Festival, which attracts thousands of music lovers and is broadcast nationwide on TV. The sound from Poland in this episode is the inaugural music of the festival, first heard in June 1963. Every Pole knows this piece. The festival takes place at the Millennium Amphitheater, which has become one of the symbols of the city of Opole. It is located at the spot where an early Slavic settlement once stood. Throughout the festival's history, thousands of artists have performed at the concerts. For many of them, the Opole Amphitheater was the start of their singing career. Hundreds of songs that were first heard there have since become huge hits that everybody knows and everybody sings. Though it's a fairly large regional industrial center, Opole also has an attractive old town. Its history goes back to the 8th century. Well-preserved remnants of wooden houses and traces of pavements were discovered by archaeologists. Opole was also the capital of the historical region of Upper Silesia. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it?
You've been listening to the 13th episode of Polcast. Polkast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the next episode, we will tell you about building bridges with the past and across cultures. What you need to know when you are invited to a meal in a Polish home. It's about being a Pole down under, the Aussie perspective. And about Arabs from Poland. We leave you with one of the best-known Polish Poloneses entitled Farewell to the Motherland, composed at the turn of the 18th and 19th centuries by Polish composer, writer, statesman Michał Kleofas Ogiński. Polish Polonaise, Farewell to Homeland, Pożegnanie Ojczyzny, also known as Ogiński's Polonaise. Thank you for listening. <laughs>